Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. It is good to be here this Sunday morning. Uh, It's called the gospel, and we've been talking about it for 10 chapters. Good news, but sometimes as I prayed, there's a little bad news involved as well. And so we've been through 10 chapters of happy stuff, spectacular claims that Christ is actually God who's come down to us in human form. Wonderful promises. Whosoever believes in him will cross out of death and condemnation into the light of life. And mind-blowing miracles that really validate both those claims and those promises. And so here now in Matthew 10 and picking up again at verse 16 is a big block of some sad realities that talk about when we connect with Christ, there are some difficulties involved, aren't there? And so Jesus has had a burst of uh, popularity. And uh, well, who doesn't love miracles, right? And so he's in the honeymoon phase of his ministry, but that's coming to an end. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for that sad reality. And so he's been preaching about the need to repent, to deny our sinful selves, uh, to live life according to God's commands. And so, yeah, the last straw was when Jesus failed to deliver on the uh, delivering Israel out of the oppressive uh, regime of Rome there. And so when that didn't happen, then... That was the last straw, and the cries of Hosanna were changed to crucify, and they began to hate him and his message and those who would follow him and preach the same message as he was preaching. And so here in Matthew 10, the whole chapter is one big discussion of preparing the disciples for their mission outreach to evangelize uh, the world, really starting with Israel. And so we saw last time that uh, Jesus had called the 12 together for that time of instruction and preparation. Here's where to go. This is what you'll be teaching and preaching. This is how you'll finance uh, the mission trip. Here's what to expect. Some will receive you and some will not. Now, the whole rest of the chapters on that last part about those who uh, don't receive Christ and who are not interested in the message, who in fact are hostile and opposed to Christ and the things of God. And so he's going to spend quite a bit of time talking about 
this issue. And this is where we uh, pick up, really, that we have. The theme here is that we have, we're serving the Lord. We're doing his work in a hostile work environment, if I can call it that. And so he's going to teach us ways to cope with that, ways to react to that, ways to be smart about that, not to grow resentful or bitter or frustrated or disappointed. Uh, but rather to be effective and productive for him in spite of the fact of that uh, anti-gospel environment of the world. And so picking up at verse 16 in just a second, we're going to read through the passage. Uh, We're going to get to cover a lot of ground and then we'll come back And we'll do sort of a running commentary on these really important words. And so even with the bad news, you're going to find that there's always rays of sunshine uh, beaming through. So uh, one writer said, who has more cause for optimism than the people of the most high God. And so with that, now it's time for your verses to appear on the screen starting at verse 16 Uh, We pick up one verse back where we were last week, just for context. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent or harmless as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles, the nations, the surrounding uh, peoples. Verse 19, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to the other. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now that's a verse that takes a little explaining, but it's pretty simple actually uh, when you think about it. Verse 24, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, which means prince of the demons, how much more the members of his household? Verse 26, so don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will or the compassion or the involvement or the care of your father? Verse 30. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many 
many sparrows. And so a delightful passage. And there's some verses in there that always throw Christians off a little bit. And I'm always delighted to help bring some clarity in such cases. And so note takers, Jesus um, heads up two disciples, Christ's followers, who are going to take the gospel into a Christ-rejecting world. First of all, here's how to be forearmed if you're going to be ready. Number one, verses 16 through 20, be on your guard. Number two, stand firm to the end, verses 21 through 23. Uh, Number three, expect rejection, verses 24 through 25. And fourthly and lastly, don't be afraid. No need for fear. Uh, Your opponents have limited power and you are of great value to God. And so we close on a happy note there, verses 26 through 31. So we're going to dive in here in just a second. So uh, first to a common refrain that repeats a lot in the New Testament Uh, really for all believers to be on your guard. And the word there is where we get the name Greg. So the word uh, Gregoreo, really, (laughs) kind of a fun uh, way to say Greg, uh, really means stand your guard. So if your name is Greg, you better be standing guard. Uh, And so um, I'm going to paraphrase. We just read it, right? But I want to walk through the first point here is standing your uh, guard, uh, be on your guard, I should say. And we'll, we'll, I'll paraphrase 16 through 20. So it'll come, uh, you read, and then I'll just paraphrase. Verse 16, you're going to be sent out in the world like defenseless little sheep amidst ravenous wolves. So You'll need to be savvy as serpents and harmless as doves. Verse 17, so you'll have to be on your toes. You're going to get in some trouble with some local governments, even whipped in your own house of worship. Verse 18, because of me, you'll be hauled before authorities as you share the gospel with the Gentile world. Verse 19, when you're incarcerated, don't be anxious about what you're going to have to say or how you're going to have to say it. Right then, the words will come to you. Verse 20, because it won't be you speaking, it'll be God your Father speaking through you. And so we take a look at this now. Be on your guard. I love that verse about the Father speaking through us. Jesus said in John 14, that if any man believes in Christ and does his will, the Father comes and makes his home in our heart. And it's so comforting to know that and so here's what he's saying now be on your guard troubles troubled times ahead jesus looks to the future and he's forecasting some choppy air you know stormy weather to come uh to be forewarned is to be forearmed right and so i've told you the story about the worst turbulence i've ever experienced in the air It happened from JFK to San Francisco. When we were in New York, the pilot came on and said, "Uh, folks, I've got some bad news. Uh, We're going to have some choppy air over uh, the Ohio Valley there. And so I just kind of heard that and said, whatever, it's a few hours away. But man, when we got over that Ohio Valley, we were dropping, I was catching air, people were screaming, things were falling from the bins and all of this. 
there was a thought in my head that calmed me down that said, he told us about this. Now, had he not said anything and suddenly the overhead bins were opening and things were falling and people were screaming, uh, that would be more disconcerting. And so Jesus says, look, I don't want you to unravel when nobody throws a party for you or a standing ovation. Uh, uh, Just the opposite. When, When they mock you and there's no place for you and you get marginalized and worse yet, in a lot of cultures, you lose your job, your freedom, or even your life. And so heads up, Jesus is saying, so you don't come undone when reality smacks you right upside of the head. So here's the problem. It started off kind of nice, and they don't even get uh, ill-treated their first missionary uh, outreach because uh, everybody loves a man who gives gifts, as the Proverbs say, and they come packed with miraculous gifts to heal the sick and raise the dead and set people free. So uh, nobody's giving them a hard time yet, but Jesus says the tide is going to turn. And so... um, Here's the problem. Our conversion uh, really raises us up to a new life that sort of puts us at a disadvantage in this world in some ways. What do I mean by that? Well, we have a, a, we're a new creation. So the anger, the viciousness, the being resentful, all of that stuff is gone. We get rid of the explosive reactions and the, uh, we extinguish the hate that prompts us to hurt, right? And so instead, we've got humble spirits, should, uh, spirits of humility, love, compassion. We have a non-retaliatory spirit. It's been changed. And now we're surrounded by those who have not been regenerated, who don't have a new nature. And still they are experts at vitriol, of cruel and bitter criticism. People who get easily offended with different views and quickly combative when they feel challenged. And talk about being challenged. Come on, we bring a life in a message that's corrective in nature and it's offensive in essence. We're telling people all have sinned. Nobody's good enough. Everybody is helpless and hopeless and needs a savior. We need to repent of our sins and stop living how we want to live, but live in ways that comply to the commandments of God. Them's fighting words, right? And so, yeah, true. In verse 16, we talked about it last week. Sheep are defenseless and supposed to be harmless, but they don't need to be stupid. And so he says, I want you to be shrewd and savvy. Uh, Like we would consider owls being wise. They, back in the day, considered serpents to be shrewd and wise like that. So he's saying, I want you to be kind of a sanctified scheming. I want you to bring the gospel, fly it under the radar. Use your brains here. You need to work, and I love this, to maximize the impact in a world that works to minimize your efforts. And so in other words, watch out. Be on your guard for the tripwire, for booby traps, for minefields. And in a positive light, be on your guard for open doors and windows of opportunity. So 
He's asking Christians who do his work in a hostile work environment to be on point, to be on task, to be shrewd without deceitfulness, to be cunning without malice or malevolence. And so innocent and meek as a dove. And we know the Holy Spirit's, as I said last week, is the kind of the picture. The dove is the picture of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes in gentleness, but not weakness. So there's a great power when in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And so he says, brace yourself. It's not going to be pretty sometimes. You're going to have to be smart without losing your sweet. And that's not so easy to do when we're persecuted, right? So verse 17 goes on to say, be on your guard against men. And he's talking about authority figures who are anti-Christ, anti-gospel, the ones in power who can make your life difficult. And so he says, they're going to hand you over, uh, really. The word there is to betray. They're going to send you to their councils, which means their courts. Every little village in Israel had a council governing body of 23 council members. And that was tied to the synagogue, which was the center of Jewish life. And so this is where the trouble would happen. If you were a blasphemer who accepted Christ and worshipped him, uh, that's where you would be flogged. And so it took three men involved in your flogging. One guy read the scripture out loud. Another guy counted the strokes. You couldn't go past 39 as if that was a mercy. And then the last guy was there to give the command for the next stroke. And so Paul told the Corinthians in his second letter in chapter 11 that he received that flogging five times. What a reward that man is going to be given. It's going to be mind-blowing, mind-blowing boggling and what will become of the torturers of God's dearly loved children what is their punishment for scourging the ones who were pointing them out of harm's way and to heaven how about their reward for despising and rejecting and mocking God's people who at their own cost and sacrifice were living for them and praying for them and trying to point them uh, to eternal life. What a sick, sick world. And so verse 18, he says, you're going to be hauled before governors and kings. Now think about this. These are uneducated fishermen. They're 23 years old. They're nobodies. They live in a place that's kind of like the boondocks there, Galilee. What is he telling these guys that they're going to stand before kings of the earth and Caesars and emperors? Well, that, this is very amazing. No one imagined it was possible, one writer said, that these uneducated, uneducated nobodies <clears throat> would be called be, before the tribunals of the most powerful and famous influential people in all the earth. Commentator by the name of Wakefield there. And so that's exactly what happened, right? So the Jewish Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin got an earful from Jesus, from his disciples, from the apostle Paul. Talk about governors. Yes, the Roman governors, Pilate, 
Felix and Festus, those two last ones in Acts 21. Felix used to love to listen to the Apostle Paul. Herod, King Herod, loved to listen to John the Baptist in Mark chapter 6 and would listen to him often. King Agrippa told Paul the Apostle as he gave his testimony and shared the gospel, Paul, you've almost convinced me to become a Christian, you know, with all the entire city of influential dignitaries gathered there with great pomp and circumstance as uh, Acts 26 says. And so what's interesting is, is that Jesus says you'll be gathered, you'll be called in to these places of great power and authority as a testimony to them. Now they're thinking, they're just listening and prosecuting some criminals of, uh, you know, who's doing something wrong in the eyes of uh, the world or the localities there. But actually, God is saying, I'm causing the gospel to be made known to the most powerful and influential uh, men and women in the world. And, you know, that this gospel gets hauled in to the emperor's courts like it does all over the world still is just great validation of the truth and the power of the word of God. Think about that. Why would leaders care about some fairy tale if it were a fairy tale? Would, would they haul them in for mother's goose? Uh, mother's goose, mother goose. Only one mom there, apparently. Alice in Wonderland. No, Nero doesn't care about Alice, but he cared about Jesus because Jesus was real. That's the difference. Jesus was changing the world. And that's why um, we appear before uh, the high and mighty of this earth. And so the message is worth the attention of the mightiest in the land. And he says, Gentiles, they're saying this message is going worldwide. And so by the way, the word witnesses there, you'll be my witnesses. Uh, is the word martorian, where we get the word martyr from. And so it's easy to see how that happened, right? So those who were giving their testimonies became martyrs, right? Same word. So Jesus is calling us, you will be my witnesses. In other words, you will be testifying of me and the gospel and being executed for it. That's what we are. And so in 19 and 20, Jesus is addressing their greater concern. And this is interesting. He doesn't say, and now about the flogging. It's like, oh no, what are we going to do? We're going to be hauled in and flogged. Oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to say when we stand before the tribunals? And so that's interesting. Barclay, commentator, put it this way. It wasn't the humiliation which early Christians dreaded, not even the cruel pain and the agony, but many of them feared that their own unskillfulness in words and defense might injure rather than commend the truth of the gospel. It is the promise of God that when a man is on trial for his faith, the words will come to him. And so notice it says in your text, whenever, not if, 
your back is against the wall and you have to make a defense of yourself for the gospel, that's the father's job. That's his business. And he'll supply the words. Not before, but in the moment, open your mouth, the words will come. Uh, One time I had a Bible. It was in San Francisco somewhere and some guy caught wind of the conversation and he said, look, I'm open, I'm interested. I see you got a Bible and you're talking about Jesus. I'm gonna give you 10 minutes right now, uninterrupted, convince me. Time starts now. (laughs) I was like, dear God in heaven, you know, I'm not prepared for this, you know, but you open your mouth, the words come. Come, it's his business, his responsibility. He just wants a willing heart. And uh, so he's faithful and uh, he always provides. And so, and one writer said, and by the way, pastor, he's not talking to you about Sunday morning messages. You're gonna have to prepare, you know. Uh, I have heard a pastor say, you know, use this verse, you know, kind of obscure out there kinds of people who would say, I don't need to study the Father speaks through me like this promise says. And boy, yeah, that could explain why there's 12 people in their church. And so we in 2 Timothy chapter 2 are called to uh, study and show ourselves uh, that we can present the message uh, organized and uh, accurate and sound so that we could be approved by God. So that's it. Be on your guard. The message you carry is going to put you in harm's way. You got to be smart and sweet and maneuver your way through a hostile work environment. And P.S., before we move on, this is exactly why some of your former friends and family members are dearly loved people. Some of them uh, have left the gospel and for a different gospel. They changed the message. See, if you change the message, if the message is causing the discomfort then if you change the message, you'll also become more comfortable, more accepted, more popular. So that's the temptation, right? And so the temptation is to say, oh, everybody's going to go to heaven and there's no need for repentance and no such thing as hell. And the Bible's really just a, a story and all of this stuff. And who's going to argue with that? The world's okay with that. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Woe to you when men speak well of you all the time. How is that possible if you've got the spirit of Christ in you and the world is really against absolute truth and the things of God for everybody to speak well of you all the time? Jesus said, that's a problem. That's a symptom of a problem. And so we don't go out looking for trouble and trying to be obnoxious, right? But he said, listen, the gospel is offensive. It's going to rub people the wrong way. You're going to get a little bit of pushback, uh, but that's to be expected. Don't be changing the message to improve the quality of your life and popularity, convenience, and comfort, right? And so moving on, we'll start with verses 21 through 23 now, and I'll paraphrase. Verse 21. 
brothers and sisters will be betraying one another to death, parent, child as well, children in agreement that their parents should be executed. Expect, verse 22, expect universal hatred of you because of universal hatred of me. But those who are saved stand firm to the end. That's the best way to understand that verse. I'll explain it. Verse 23, preach the gospel from place to place and flee when you're persecuted. You won't finish the mission before the Son of Man comes. Now, as I said, I'll explain what that means. So stand firm to the end is our second point. And here Jesus says, hey, listen, family bonds are going to be disrupted because of our reception of Christ. And so how sad, how super, super sad, as my grandson Xander likes to say, he puts super on everything. It's super sad there. Verse 21, there'll be treachery where one would expect love and loyalty. And so betray one another is the same word used as what Judas did. Betrayed to death, verse 21. And here's how it worked. The emperor, the czar, the ayatollah, or whatever dictator, dear leader, would be, would outlaw Christianity and make it a capital crime. And so uh, they would offer money or amnesty to those who turned other people in, who had accepted Christ, who were doing uh, the father's business uh, under the radar. And so they turn in their family members to safeguard their own lives and to gain. And so Jesus warned them. You know that goes on in North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, and India. And not just the first 10. Goes on even today. So Jesus moves to the general concept in verse 22. He says, listen, there's this general hatred. He uses the word hate. It can mean to reject or to despise or to cast aside. There's this general intense dislike uh, of you because of me. It doesn't have anything to do with you. These aren't your thoughts, right? And so because you bring a message that he brought, uh, that is why we reap that uh, hostile reaction. So, and, and it's not because we're being unfaithful or rude or hypocrites or being obnoxious. It's because we're like him, right? We have enough Christians who act in unbecoming ways uh, to uh, merit the world's displeasure, right? And so I remember one time I was subbing in a high school in Daly City, and I was in the break room, and there was a, a Christian man who was being so obnoxious, it was unbelievable, and later we talked, I think he saw my Bible and we connected and he said, bro, I'm, I, I'm so persecuted for Christ here. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure it was for Christ he was being persecuted. And so uh, one writer said, if we must, if it must be that we leave a bad taste in the mouth of the public at large, May it be because we exemplify the life and teachings 
of the God with whom they are at odds and not because of any folly on our parts. And so that's important, is it not? And so we're moving on now to verses 24 and 25 where he talks more about the um, rejections. So I'm paraphrasing verse 24. Students are not above their teachers and slaves not above their masters. Verse 25, it's normal for students to share similarities with their teachers and servants to share similarities with their master. If the head of the household is called the prince of the demons, won't the members of his family be called even worse. So expect rejection. This is the second time we hear that Jesus is being called the devil or close to it. So it must have been a common way to insult the Lord. And so uh, critical thinking here. Jesus is asking us to make some logical deductions. Let's think rationally. People, he's saying... Simply put, verse 24, really is the disciples should not expect to be treated better than Jesus was. Think about that. I mean, what's this prosperity gospel, this word of faith nonsense? You expect, this verse is the death blow to that whole movement of prosperity preaching because it, it indeed preaches and teaches that we ought to be uh, exempt from what Jesus uh, went through. And so that's not the case. He says, uh, you are my disciples. It's enough, verse 25, normally students of the teacher are thought of in the same way and light as their teacher is thought of, right? So really he's saying, listen, the problem is you're guilty by association here, in so many areas of life, this is true. Think about it. Trump supporters are received the same way as President Trump would be received in certain crowds, right? Uh, or one, how one feels about Elon Musk would be carried over to his closest associates. And sponsors, sponsors, love to link up with professional athletes who are popular because through the association with somebody people admire and love and respect, then that does their product, even if it's cereal and the guy plays baseball, right? They want you to look at the cereal box and by association feel the same way you do about the baseball player to the, the box of whole grain cereals. And so this is what's going on with Jesus, the association. And Jesus will say, they spit on me, they plucked out my beard and crowned my head with thorns and then nailed me to a cross. And you are associated with me. You say what I said, you act the way I acted, you think my thoughts, you behave the same way. We have the same mission statement. So what did you expect? A standing ovation? No, not at all. So finally, he's going to say now, we're going to see, 
to soften the blow a little bit as we finish up now um, and kind of helping us to process the blunt unpleasantness and the realities that come uh, when we follow Christ. It comes with the territory. So it's a call to courage we end on. Now, two comforting thoughts here as we're going to take a look again at verses 26 through uh, 28. And, and what it's going to be here is a proper perspective of the limitations of our opponent's power. Does that make sense? He says, I'm going to cheer you up by reminding you of the limitedness of the bad guy's power over you. And the secondly, which we finish up with, is I want you to think properly about your great worth in the sight of God. And so starting at verse 26 now, verse 26 reading, so no need to fear them, everything, all their mischief, and slander and lies and injustice, all of that is going to come into the light. Don't be intimidated. Verse 27, what I tell you in private, shout from the rooftops. Verse 28, look, they can only kill your body. After that, what can they do? No need to fear them. They can't touch the real you, your soul. You should be more concerned about God who has power over the soul and determines your final eternal destiny of heaven or hell. And so we close up kind of with right thinking about the wolves that Jesus said, we are the sheep in the midst of these wolves and the big bad wolf and the real power, right? They huff and they puff and they threaten to blow the house down. But Jesus says, you know what? They can only blow your physical house down. After that, they can do nothing. So Jesus is not impressed with the power of the wolves. And so <clears throat> there's a myth out there about the big bad wolf. And then that's why everybody's so afraid of the bad guys, right? That he can do more than he claims to be able to do. And so Jesus is saying this, you guys are give him the wolves, more fear than he deserves. So verses 26 and 27 says this, listen, about all the injustice, the truth will prevail, justice will be done, you will have your day in court. Uh, you will be exonerated and your opponents will be brought to justice. Our opponents, Christ's opponents, the big picture here, both privately and corporately as the church. And so the theme here is openness and fearlessness, right? So he says, don't succumb to intimidation. Don't be silenced because of fear. And that's their greatest tactic. You know, you'll lose your job. You'll lose your popularity. You'll lose some friends. You'll lose some of the family. You'll lose your freedom. Or you, as I've been saying, as he's been saying, you'll lose your life. Many Christians labor under this fear. Um, I told you this before many years ago, San Francisco post office, <clears throat> one of the tiny little ones. I was in there and a man, an elderly man in front of me had a seizure, a full out seizure right on the floor in front of me. And I knelt down and I prayed, I prayed for him. 
you know, a little evangelistic. Thank you, Father God, that you are here and you love this man. And Jesus, we just pray that you bring your comfort to his heart and et cetera. And so someone heard me who was a Christian man. He came over to me and he started talking to me and his eyes were darting all over the place. This is a small office and there were people all around and they could hear us. And so he lowered his voice to where I could barely hear him as he darted his eyes around and he was saying, hey, you're a, you're a Christian. And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, so am I. And he said, what church do you go to? And I said, I looked around <laughs> and I told him and then we were back and forth and then <laughs> he said another thing, you know, and then I said, why are we whispering? Why, why, why are we whispering? Why are we so afraid? Oh, somebody might hear us and maybe the seed of the gospel will go in their heart and they'd come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Oh, we can't have anything like that happen. So we got to be, you know, battered into this intimidating submission to not open your mouth. And that's what Jesus is saying. He tells them, listen, the stuff you hear around the campfire and the things I just say in your ear as we're passing through the wheat fields or underneath the olive branches, get on the rooftop and start screaming. And it doesn't matter what the wolf says. You're going to huff and puff and blow down your entire world and your family and nobody's going to like you anymore and they're all going to think you're dumb and backward and, and, and a hater and all of this stuff. And Jesus says, you speak anyway. Come hell or high water. It's the gospel. It's their only hope. And the devil's weapon against you is to fear you and to intimidate you into silence. I'm a Christian. How about you? Did you know you need the Lord? Come on. None of that. We could have stopped that. Amen? Whoa, that was a loud one. Man. Yeah, so we're not the only ones called into a world of risk, right? We've got soldiers and policemen and firefighters who have a calling, you know? And part of the passion of the calling is the inherent risk. And there's something exciting about it because it just grips you and you're doing your job at a best friend back in the day in San Jose, let's call him Steve, because, yeah, that's his name. I was a police officer in San Jose. He's telling me one story. He says, oh, it was two o'clock in the morning, no lights on in the back alley, and uh, an armed thug, <laughs> he chased into that alley. There was no way out. He knew he was in there, and he was going in, and he's checking behind garbage bins and all kinds of trees and, and things, and I'm like, dude, I... Oh, wow, how do you do that? And I'll never forget the answer. He said, I'm on the side of right. I feel the authority of the state and of God behind me. And that's why I'm not afraid. Wow, and that, that's been with me for a long time. And so God's perfect love chases out that kind of fear. We're not intimidated we're here to do our Father's work. And so, yes, indeed. And so he says, you don't have to worry about all of the injustices that are going on. God's going to, he keeps good records. You have nothing to worry about. Let that go and keep 
speaking. And so, and then he gets down to the fun part. He says, okay, so they're going to kill you. So? I'm, a, I'm not impressed. So what? Number one, your days are ordered, right? So that would have been your last day. Uh, he doesn't kill you out of the will of God. You know, the, the, the steps of a righteous man, of a man who's right with God, are ordered. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his loved ones. And so, yeah, Jesus is like, so he, they kill you. Then what? The sword that came down on the Apostle Paul's neck after all of that, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know what his last words were? <laughs> to the executioner. Something about putting his faith in the Lord and thanking him. Thanking him for sending him out of that crippled, worn out body and into the presence of God in the paradise of God, as it's called there. And so, yeah, everybody talks about heaven, how wonderful it's going to be, and nobody wants to go there when it's time, right? And, yeah, I mean, that's what he says there. He says, uh, I'll tell you who to fear. There is uh, no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. And so verse 28 there says, God has the power to determine where you spend eternity and the bad guys only can just uh, send you to paradise there. Our preoccupation, one writer said, is not with our persecutors, but with our God, right? And so moving on, he goes on to sparrows. He loves to talk about sparrows. We finish up with verses 29 to 31. Sparrows aren't worth much, are they? Right? You can get a couple for a penny, yet God is mindful of them. Verse 30, he even knows the exact number of follicles on your head at any given time. That's how important you are to God. Verse 31, so stop being so afraid. You're worth more than a ton of sparrows. So once again, the Lord wants to reason with us. He says, do the math. If this is true, how much more this then? And so uh, he goes, what a jump. We go from talking about God who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell to the Father's tender care of sparrows. <laughs> That's our God there. And so he's saying the sparrow is the most insignificant of God's creation. Sparrows were a dime a dozen. Well, I should say actually 20 sparrows for a dime. And they were sold for food. They made sparrow kebabs. Doesn't that sound delightful? Ooh, a good deal though. Two for a penny. Um, and clearly Jesus' point is sparrows rank low on the scheme of things. And so he's saying, and, and in Greek it's kind of hard, and that's why so many Bibles have so many different um, translations of this one line. Verse 29, not one sparrow falls, and it can read into a trap, into a snare, falls to the ground, but that's the idea. Not one sparrow runs into trouble is the idea. Without your father's will, 
is a little, falls short a little bit. It's more of your father's awareness or involvement or um, care that he knows about it. He's concerned even for sparrows. Even in a fallen world where sparrows, like us, have accidents and fall to the ground. And so he's trying to reason with us. He's saying, he who cares for the least significant cares for the most significant. His crown jewel of creation is you and me. He didn't breathe his breath into sparrows or trees or the earth or to the angels. He breathed his breath into the nostrils of the first man he created from the dirt. And that man became a living soul created in the image of God. And is that not why we are of great value to him? living eternal souls created in his own image. That's something to think about for sure. And so he says he's so crazy in love with us that he has numbered the follicles that are ever-changing on our heads, right? And one day after church, a cherub-faced son of one of your families there approached me and he said, Pastor Ross, he's probably about 11. He said, in Sunday school, we learned that God loves us so much he's counted all the hairs on our head. And in your case, he didn't have to count very high. And so I excommunicated the entire family from the fellowship, I thought that was right to do for his. <laughs> no, of course not. I just love that kid. And so I, we had a good laugh there. But really, come on. Here's Jesus' point. <clears throat> if he's obsessed with, with something that's insignificant, like the hair follicles, right? You know what I always say. God, hair is overrated, God, what do I always say? God made some heads perfect. The rest he covered up with hair. Oh, the Holy Spirit just saved me in front of everybody. Got it. All right. So, yeah, if he cares so much about dumb stuff like that, doesn't he care about how you're doing with uh, social distancing and, and sheltering in place and how your family's going, your finances. If he knows the number of hairs on your head, which doesn't matter, then Jesus says, please do the math. He's almost pleading with us. Like, come on, just use common sense. You're you're worth so much more than a ton of sparrows. And his, his heart is with the sparrow. Listen, about a sparrow, we'll close now. We've got our backyard. We've got a pergola, you know, to provide the shade. It's got a post. And there's a climbing rose that goes up one of those posts. And there's a sparrow that loves to make its nest there every year. And so this year, just a few weeks ago, actually, there were four eggs in there. You know, when she's gone, I just kind of looked in there and there was four little eggs. And then 
One day I saw a blue jay up there popping around and cawing. And the next day, no mother, no mother. The next day, no mother bird. And I kind of felt around in there. And the eggs were gone. The blue jay ate, get those eggs. And I hear that's a common thing that happens. And so I was thinking about that. And I had this text in front of me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I'm with her in her loss. How much more am I with you in your loss? We all have losses and crosses. And God just impressed by me studying this verse. If I care about the sparrow, I knew exactly what happened to her in the loss of this fallen world where there are predators and that kind of thing has to happen. That he was aware of it and he took it to heart. He says, how much more your losses and your crosses that you bear do I care about? And I'm looking and watching you do my work in a hostile work environment. I'm with you to sustain you, to watch over you, to care about you so that we can take Jesus' words to heart to one, be on our guard, two, to stand firm to the end, three, to expect rejection, and four, to not be afraid because the bad guys have limited power, but we have infinite worth. Let's pray together. Father God, we're so thankful that even in the bad news, it's encouraging to us, God, that we walk with you Lord, we enter into your suffering. We identify with the mocking and the rejection and the resistance and the insults and all of that, God, because we belong to you. We're associated with you. And that's kind of affirming to us. It's telling us that we've got the real thing, God. Help us be encouraged. Lord, help us to respond wisely and with the sweet answers and to be patient in this world, the object of your great love, despite their rejection, you still have your arms open wide all day long to a disobedient people, calling them to come to you to find rest for their weary souls. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.